Hello, and welcome to Science Matters, the podcast of the Georgia Tech College of Sciences. I'm Renee San Miguel. Even though I'm not a Georgia Tech student, I wanted to experience the kind of research they do, but not in a regular laboratory. I had my sights on the Georgia Tech Center for Advanced Brain Imaging, or CABI, located on Marietta Street near West Campus. What do they research here? Our ability to create memories. You're going to see each object four times, and they're going to be, they could be paired with a different face or object each time. Mm-hmm. So that second-year PhD student, Brittany Corbett, taking me through procedures. She's asking me to, quote, encode these pictures in my memory, and then she'll ask me to remember them later. As they ask questions, Brittany and cabbie technicians gather data on brain waves elicited from my responses. For researchers studying the brain, cabbie has two important tools, an electroencephalogram, or EEG machine, and a magnetic resonance imaging, or MRI machine. MRI scans, called functional MRIs, or fMRIs, because they measure blood flow, can give researchers a closer look at the parts of the brain involved in processing memory. The EEG is designed to gather data in real time, in the millisecond range. So now they're getting ready to fit me with an EEG uh, skull cap of some kind. I guess that's the technical term that we're going to be using, Uh, but that's going to be used to, uh, in the normal uh, experiments, to monitor brainwaves. Watching from a few feet away is Audrey Duarte, associate professor in the School of Psychology and the principal investigator of the Memory and Aging Lab. Because memory is key to who we are and how we react to situations, Duarte and her fellow researchers are trying to figure out how memory fails as we get older. A failing memory can be a sign of serious disease, such as Alzheimer's, but it can also impact otherwise healthy, aging adults. What exactly causes these memory failures? Can they be prevented by cognitive activities, such as physical exercise helps maintain muscular and cardiovascular fitness? Could this research be applied to new ways of educating students, particularly those on the autism scale? Those are the questions Duarte is trying to answer. The facial movements, the tics and all that may not be a part of the response. It's something that you have to edit. Yeah, so the the signals that we're interested in coming from your brain Mm -hmm. are so much smaller by the time they reach the scalp because they have to travel through brain, through cerebral spinal fluid through the skull, through the fat, through the hair, oh, wow. and then the skin. And so by the time they get to the surface, they're teeny. Mm-hmm. Relative to the electrical activity produced by the muscles on your face or your jaw mm-hmm. muscles. And so we monitor those and we can pretty easily filter that noisy muscle activity out from the signal. Okay. In addition, we amplify these electrical act- uh, signals coming from your brain. The types of brain waves, alpha, beta, Delta, gamma, and theta do correspond to different kinds or frequencies of brain activity. Delta waves, for example, are tied to deep states of sleep, while beta waves dominate when we are awake and maybe thinking of work or school. Duarte and her team study the strength of those waves as you're engaging in a memory task. They found that wave strength is related to whether someone will successfully remember something later in the process. When you, we test your memory, just for, as an example, okay. we can measure in real time how long is it taking, how much neural evidence for a scene. Do you, does your brain need to manifest in order for you to say, I saw a scene gotcha. versus I saw a face? All right. And as I get older, that, that time might lengthen, that's might a, get that's longer? That's one of the questions we're trying to okay, answer. Okay, all right, trying to figure out. Mm-hmm.
Let's leave the Center for Advanced Brain Imaging for a few minutes. Let's dine at an imaginary restaurant that we'll call Fui de Memoir. It's a busy place, as you can hear. Let's say you and a friend are having dinner. Your friend just shared a serious office dilemma and wants your opinion. But the table next to yours is awfully loud. Music is blasting. A car alarm blares from the street. And other loud noises distract you. As you're leaving, your friend again asks your opinion about the office dilemma. But you can't remember because of all the restaurant distractions going on just as your brain was trying to process new information. Duarte refers to such distractions as memory clutter. It's a problem, and she is trying to find out why older brains are more susceptible to memory clutter than younger ones. Does our digital too-much-information age, with smartphones joining us at dinner, play a part in this? Or is it simply aging brains that can't keep up? Oh, yeah, this happens to me more and more <laughs> every day as well. <laughs> I, I think me too. Yeah, it's just, it's... A, you know, you, you're, and there's all this data now. that yeah. we, There's more data than we were dealing with sure. ever before. And it is absolutely true. There is, there is objectively more noise out there in the world. Uh, just, you know, stimuli everywhere. And um, we know that as we age, it becomes more challenging. Both we can measure this in the lab, but also subjectively, it's more challenging for people to filter out irrelevant information. Mm -hmm. You don't know, always know what's relevant and what isn't, but, you know, if we're having a conversation and something appears in my peripheral vision outside this window, yeah. I part of me wants to orient to that information. Sure. And that is going to, to, you know, detract my attention from this conversation. And then I will probably have difficulty remembering what we were talking about. Sure. And, and so this ability to filter out what's distracting is something that does seem to decline as we age. By the way, the name of this fictional restaurant, Fouy de Memoir, that's French for memory clutter. Back in Duarte's office on campus, the subject turns from memory clutter to memory loss and impairment. That can happen with normal aging, and it can be the result of neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. Many might worry that memory changes they are experiencing are the onset of Alzheimer's. The issue is that it's very difficult to know early what's mm -hmm. a sign of later this person's going to develop dementia and this person isn't. We don't have a good answer for that at the moment. So it's just based on their performance, on memory tests that we might give in the laboratory, it's very difficult to tell in an early stage. Mm -hmm. However, you really can see differences emerge as people develop more pathology in the brain and they're, they're starting to have more severe memory impairment. And mm -hmm. really what's noticeable is beyond memory impairments, seeing changes in their ability um, to function yeah. on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, remembering to turn off the stove, uh, that sort of, you know, remembering you went to the grocery store and forgetting why you're there, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and so then it's quite clear, but then it's quite advanced as well. Alzheimer's is an attack on a person's memories. Certain head injuries and other medical conditions can have the same effect on memory. 
So I wanted to know, do scientists know if memory is located in a specific section of the brain? Duarte's research has focused on the prefrontal cortex, but she says it's hard to pinpoint exact locations where memory sits within the brain. I'll just first be clear about what we mean by memory because mm -hmm. it's it's definitely not one thing. Um, so everybody sort of, I think, understands these terms, short-term memory, long-term sure. memory. And, you know, when you think of what a short-term memory is, what what we as researchers uh, believe that to be is something that we can remember over a period of seconds to a minute. So you ask someone for their phone number, you have to retain that in your memory for a short time before you can write it down or put it in your your phone, you know. And so um, that kind of memory has a, that kind of memory could become a long-term memory actually, but um, long-term memories, which is really what I study in, mm -hmm. in my in my laboratory what we work on these are memories that can last a lifetime so remembering the days of the week the presidents you know of the United States remembering uh, what you had for dinner last night or what you did five years ago on your birthday mm -hmm. these are all long-term memories gotcha. and in terms of what parts of the brain or what networks of the brain are important Important for making these memories, um, it's really not just one part of the brain. It's really many parts. Um, the prefrontal cortex that you mentioned is absolutely essential in helping to form memories and helping to recover them. Mm -hmm. uh, but memories don't sit there. It's also true that a region of the brain called the hippocampus we know is very important for memory. Mm -hmm. um, so these regions of the brain, many of them, are important for processing the information that you're experiencing. That information is processed by various parts of the brain, visual areas, olfactory areas, mm -hmm. you know, uh, auditory, and bound together, this is how we think this is happening, bound together by regions of the brain like the prefrontal cortex and the hippocampus. They communicate with one another. Okay. Then what happens after that is still a mystery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but what we believe happens is what we say is that these memories become consolidated and they become distributed across the brain. So you can't look in the brain anywhere and say, you know, like this movie, do you remember this movie, Eternal Sunshine? Oh, the Spotless, Spotless Mind? Mind? Yes, yes, yes. Great the 2004 movie starring Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay thanks to an original premise. In the movie, people can have painful, traumatic memories erased from their minds. Duarte brings up the movie to illustrate that unlike its premise, memories are generated from all over the brain, not just in one place. This becomes apparent when you consider that as Alzheimer's progresses in patients, one of its most tragic aspects is that they can fail to recognize their loved ones. It takes a lot of brain damage for that to happen. And that makes sense if you think about where the memories are. They're everywhere. Another area of Duarte's research, the brain activity that's going on as you're learning something new plays a role in memory. That's where the equipment and resources at the Center for Advanced Brain Imaging come in handy for Duarte's researchers as they try to tie certain brain waves to memory recall. It's looking at activity just before people look at, try to remember anything or try to learn anything. And that activity, and we can measure it with EEG, we can measure it with fMRI, looking at areas of the brain or patterns in real time. Mm -hmm. That activity is predictive of later memory as well. What is still a question that people are trying to 
you know understand is what that activity is so is it just whether you're attending in the right place to be able to encode mm. something mm -hmm. into memory is it um just how motivated you are is it a reflection of motivation is it a reflection of the brain areas that are really important for memory are sort of turned on for whatever reason. Duarte's office within the Center for Advanced Brain Imaging may be called the Memory and Aging Lab, but the work there also has potential applications for younger people and how they're taught in classrooms. In the classroom, you can imagine you have an EEG cap on someone's head, yeah. and this is just measuring activity as people are paying attention or whatever they're doing in the classroom. And there, this has not been implemented yet, I will, I will say, but we could potentially get there in the next five years or so where we can measure this activity and say, this person is in a good, what we call brain state. Mm -hmm. Right now is the time where they should be presented information to, that they should learn. Students with ADHD or on the autism spectrum often get individualized education plans or IEPs from their school districts. Duarte says she is very interested in whether her research could result in personalized instruction plans for students based on how they retain information. But that's still years away from reality and on the lower end of the age and memory scale. Those of us on the upper end, say in our late 50s, will keep a close eye on Duarte's work in her memory and aging lab. My thanks to School of Psychology Associate Professor Audrey Duarte second-year Ph.D. student Brittany Corbett, and the other researchers in the Memory and Aging Lab. And our thanks to the Center for Advanced Brain Imaging, which is used by both Georgia Tech and Georgia State researchers. Cyan Joke, a Ph.D. student and former research associate in the School of Psychology, composed our theme music. I'm Renee San Miguel, and you've been listening to Science Matters, the podcast of the Georgia Tech College of Sciences. <laughs>